Good morning. I'm going to have you turn this morning to Philippians chapter 1. Before I read there, I just want to um, kind of encourage you for this class that's coming up in September on a, how to live a spirit-controlled life. And it's really, uh, I've just preparing for it, I can tell I've been changed. And um, I want you to, sometimes we have concepts about class. No one's going to get embarrassed. I'm not going to give you a test. Come however you want, bring a pad and pencil, take notes. But I really want to encourage you, don't let that stop you, any, any type of fear. And um, it's really the key to our walk with God, a spirit-controlled life. The Holy Spirit's living within us, and how can we, how can we be led by God, hear from God? It's coming through the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And it's, it's going to be a very practical class. And I just want to encourage you, before you think in your mind, no, I don't want to do that, pray about it. Ask God what he, what he would want you to do. All right, Philippians chapter 1. Um, it was last month that I spoke on the marks of a great church or the marks of a godly church. I want to speak this morning on the marks of a mature believer. What is a mature believer? In our mind, we have concepts. What's a mature believer? Or maybe a person with a lot of spiritual gifts, maybe someone who can talk great, maybe someone who's got talents. What, is, what does a mature believer look like? That word mature just means, when you look up the definition, it means fully grown. None of us has arrived still at that place of being fully grown. We're in the process, but everyone here is at a different place. But the goal is to be a mature believer. And our concepts, you can be, so is a mature believer someone who's older? Not necessarily. You could be an older Christian. You could be, not just an age, but you could be saved for 30 years and still be immature. And you can be someone who's 17 years old, who's fervent after God, and you can be more mature than that person. So it has nothing to do with chronological age. It has to do with your walk with God and how, I mean, I can remember my parents saying to me, why don't you grow up? You know, why don't you just grow up? You're acting immature. That's the goal that God has for our lives, that we would be a mature believer. That, and some of you are new Christians here. That's going to be a process. You're at one place, and you are, the goal is to, that you would be perfected. It says in King James, maturing in the faith, maturing. And then for some of us who have already stopped in our minds, I know enough, I don't need to go any further there is still more maturing to go. Philippians chapter 1, Paul, uh, starting in verse 3, says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who's begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you, because I have you in my heart, 
Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound or grow more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ and being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. So we, as I'm looking at this, the first point I would say is a mark of a mature believer. One of the first things is verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Paul was in prison and a great distance from the Philippian believers. He did not have their presence with him, but he remembered. And because of that, he remembered he had a thankful heart. One of, the, one of the signs of a mature believer is someone who has a thankful heart. Not thankful for the difficulties that you're in, but thankful that he's with you in the midst of them. Because there's a lot of things that are happening to our lives and in this world, that are horrible. And so in our minds, we're thinking, how can I be thankful about that? Well, thank you that his, thank him that his presence, the Spirit of God is in you, in the midst of that. A person who complains, a person who is in that place where they complain and murmur about every situation usually there's a flashing yellow light going off that this is not a mature believer. I hope this morning, I'm not here to bring condemnation or guilt upon you, but sometimes we have to look at things and say, okay, I need to make a change here. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And so when we see something, we say, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm wrong in that area, I want to change a thankful spirit. Paul remembered their love and care and support. His heart was filled with thanksgiving, and he thanked God for them. How much and how often do we thank God for each other? This scenario could change real quickly the way the world is going. Maybe you won't be able to come to this building. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe the persecution will come. Or if you're away somewhere, are you thankful for the church that God has called you to? The people that are around you? I am. Amen. Because if, if you've ever been in a place where you're away from that, you yearn for that. You long for that. And that's what Paul was telling them. He remembered them and he loved them, and his heart was in that place. It's beyond our personalities, and it's beyond, well, I don't, I'm not really like that person. There's a bond that we have because we're Christians. We have the Spirit of God. What did Jesus say? Who, are, who is my mother, father, sisters, and brothers, and relatives? Those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's your family. And nothing against my earthly family, 
But there's something that supersedes that. Colossians 3.15 And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful. You're not here by coincidence. Things happen in your life. God is directing and he brings you to a place. That's why I can't, you can't, someone says to me, well, I just go from church to church and I, and I glean from each place. I, I understand that, but God calls you to a church, wherever that is, because he has a plan, he has a purpose, your life. People think a lot of times, well, why do I need to go to church? I don't really get nothing out of it. Well, it's not always about you. It's about what you can give, your presence. It's, it's bigger than we think. And it's, it's important that we realize what we have. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Everything give thanks. Like I said, the situation may not be something you want to give thanks about, but his presence in your life in the midst of it is something that you can give thanks to. Amen? Second thing in the mark is, uh, let me go back a second. So a person thankful is not someone who's bitter, resentful, and angry. Bitter and resentful and angry. That's not a thankful heart. Why do they treat me that way? What's going on? That's not fair. All of that kind of just grieves the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you. The second thing there is, is there's a mark, verse 4, always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. A mature believer, there's going to be a mark of prayer in their life. They're going to be a prayerful person. They're going to be a person who prays. First and foremost, in your own prayer closet, and, first and second, when the church prays. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but it's just like when your church prays, I want to be there, not because I'm supposed to be there, it's because I don't want to miss what God wants to be doing. And we miss those things. We miss those opportunities. Does it add to our salvation? No. But there's opportunities where God wants to bless us. And Paul was saying here, always in every prayer of mine, the church was constantly on Paul's mind and in his prayers. He prayed for these churches by name. Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for what goes on? Are you praying for every aspect of it. Sunday school, the kids, those are who aren't healthy, the finances of the church. This was Paul's heart. He was praying for these churches. A person who prays. And prayers aren't this rote type of thing. It's coming into his presence. It's coming into his presence and allowing the Spirit to dictate your prayer life. That's different than, 
I'm not a person who prays with a list. I just never worked for me. It just seemed very dry. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people who pray with a list to remember things. But I also don't want to be led out of the way that the Holy Spirit's trying to take me to pray. Ephesians 1.16. Here's Paul saying to the Ephesians church, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Yeah, we're praying. We're praying for the gospel to keep moving forward for other churches that the gospel would go forward. Sometimes people take joy in other churches that are having difficulties or there's a failure or something happens. That should grieve your heart. Sometimes we can have an attitude, well, they deserve that. No, not really. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. I was thinking this through. It's like we, we, we are at a place where sometimes as people, as Christians, where how do you know how much I love? You can't measure that. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I say. That's the proof. If you love me, don't just say words. Do what I tell you to do. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for all of us. Well, how, do you, how can you judge me how much I love God? I can't judge your heart, but an indicator could be, if you love me, you'll do what I say. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1-2. We give thanks, this is Paul, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. You have to come to the place where you really believe in prayer. This, this is the most powerful weapon that the Spirit has given us. Besides the Word of God, when we pray, we're accessing heaven. We're accessing a power that can overcome anything. It's God. He spoke his word and the universe was created. He's not big enough for my problems. But what happens is we pray and then we take it back and I got to do something. Maybe you do have to do something if the Spirit's telling you, but sometimes we just don't believe that it's going to work. Or we believe it doesn't work because it wasn't answered the way I wanted it answered when I prayed. So you just forget it. Just like, I'm not going to go through that again. Like I said a couple weeks ago, the answer is either yes, no, or wait. We just don't want to hear the no. We need to pray trusting God for what he knows is best. But you will have not because you ask not. You need to ask. Romans 1.9 For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing... I make mention of you always in my prayers. You may have a quiet time in the morning where you get alone with God, I do, but prayer is a constant thing as you're moving, as you're walking, as you're thinking of God. 
It's not set words. It's like you're in communion with them. You're in a situation, Lord, give me the wisdom right here. And you're, you're in that, that's, that's a spirit-controlled life. You're moving around and you're being led by God and you're thinking with him. So that's how you can pray without ceasing. You could be working at your job and still shooting up prayers and hearing from God. That's why Paul's saying pray without ceasing. Sorry. <laughs> it's a good tune. The third thing, also in verse 4, is making requests with joy. One of the marks of a mature believer is they have a, a joyful spirit about them. There's joy in their life. Joy has nothing to do with circumstances. That's happiness. Happiness goes up and down. Happiness depends on, let's see, my finances, my health, Things happen in life, and we get to a place where, you know, I'm not happy. Joy supersedes all of that. I can remember when I got saved, something happened, and there was a joy inside of me, like I'm going to heaven? Like I, am, I can know that I'm going to heaven? That was the greatest news I ever heard, and for me, that joy has never left. Because whatever else happens, I know that. I have eternal life. That's a joy. But it's also, we'll see. And it's, like I said, it's not dependent on circumstances. The believer's joy is, is divine. It's from the Holy Spirit. John 15, 11. I'm just giving you these verses. Let, these, let the word speak to you. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. God wants you to have full joy. If I find myself depressed or down, well, it's okay that I'm this way because of what the, the situation I'm in. There's no excuse. I mean, that's where the bar is set. I'm not saying we can live that way all the time, but this joy that we have, as we're going to see, Galatians 5.22 but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit. When you have a Spirit-controlled life, that's going to be the fruit in your life. One of them there is joy. There's some Christians that you want to be around because there's a joy in their life, and there's other Christians you kind of don't want to be around because there is no joy. They kind of drag you down. There's a, and that's... That's the carnality. That's the carnal. That's the flesh. I don't judge them, but it's just like, man, you could be living at a higher place. The fruit of the spirit. It's the. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Is that joy? It's not. It's not produced by me. It's produced by Him. If I'm walking and abiding in the Holy Spirit. We have assurance and confidence that ignites a rejoicing heart. Let me say that again. We have an assurance and confidence that ignites a, joy, a joyful heart. Romans 14, 17. 
For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. We have a faith, it says in the Bible, a faith that works by love. As we heard this morning, it starts with, do I understand what God, Jesus Christ, did for me? And when I do, I fall in love with him. When I, and, and the more I understand that, the more I fall in love with him. The deeper I fall in love with him. And the, and the deeper I fall in love with him, all this just flows. It just flows through you, in you. But for some of us, it's, yeah, I was saved, but now I've got to live my life, and I've got a lot of issues, and, and these things have happened to me. And we lose our focus. The flesh, the enemy, the world comes at us. 1 Peter 1.8 Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Though you don't see him, yet believing, you rejoice with great joy. That's for me, that's the challenge, how to live the Christian life. Is, is there joy in my life? Or is there misery in my life? And, and am I at a place where I'm just frustrated? We all fall into that place in our life because none of us is perfect. But you've got to catch yourself. That's why you, that's why you got to pray, and that's why you got to be in this word. Because what I'm thinking doesn't line up with this. And if you don't have this in, in you, the Holy Spirit has nothing to access. It's not like, oh, God, do this for me. And God says, yeah, start reading your Bible. And then I can tap into something that you have inside of you, your word. It's a living word. It's alive. It's not like, well, I already read Philippians before. I know what it says. Not really, not this time. It's quick, it's powerful, it's constantly ministering. The Holy Spirit's in it. The fourth thing, verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The mark of a mature believer is this word fellowship. And we heard that this morning in the songs that we were singing. Two points here, the source of fellowship, the gospel of Christ, a great salvation. We have a fellowship and a partnership with each other because of what Christ did in our lives. There is a fellowship there. We have the same Father. We have the same Spirit inside of us. There's a, there's a, a bond there. There's a connection there. It's like, I don't know, when you, when you run into a, a person who you find out they're a believer or you see that there's something different and you find out they're a believer, there's that connection, right? It's the Spirit of God. That's your spiritual family. And it's sad. And it's sad when a lot of your relatives don't have that 
and there's a distance there. And then the other thing is we have a fellowship of spiritual bond and union, same faith and fellowship. Peoples whose lives are bound together in the spirit of Christ and fellowship. This was Paul talking from day one, ten years later, there was a peace and unity of the spirit was kept alive and fellowship remained strong. There's some people you haven't seen maybe 10, 20 years, they're a believer, and when you see them, it's like you're right back to where you were because of that strong relationship that you had with them before in Christ. That's why it's, it's troubling and it hurts. I don't know if it hurts you. It hurts me when people go a different way, not, in a, not God leading them, but their own mind. They, and you get separated from people. Church splits, things like that. They're devastating. Because you, you're, you're knit together with people. And here's Paul. He's saying we need a strong fellowship rooted in the gospel. A lot of times that prayer, you have a prayer partner or you pray with someone or, you, or when we pray like on Wednesday night here, there's a, there's a knitting of the hearts together. That just doesn't happen. When I hear a person pray, I get to know them. As good as the lunches, the restaurant is, and serving that, if there isn't true biblical fellowship going on, and we're just talking about the latest whatever, that's no different than the Knights of Columbus and the Masons or anything else. I'm not saying you can't talk about things that are going on, but sometimes our fellowship, and we're all guilty of it, is shallow. Like, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? It's, not, it's way more than socializing. The world does that well. It's the fellowship. Acts 2.42 And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. We had communion this morning. You don't need a lot of people. You have a church where people's hearts are knit together. God's going to move. He's going to move through people. He's going to move through a church that's like that. That's why disunity is so deadly, because people's hearts aren't knit together. So it doesn't, I mean, the average church in America, I was reading the statistics, I think 10% are like over 200 people, and 80% are 80 people or less. Now, we would think, oh, that's not very successful, comparing it to a mega church with 30,000 people. Honestly, for me, I couldn't survive in a church like that because it would be hard for me to get to know somebody. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying, for me, that wouldn't be something I could 
or, yeah. Psalm 119.63. I am a companion of all those who fear you and of those who keep your precepts. I know when I got saved, there had to be a change of the people that I was hanging around with. And for some people, you're never going to make it with one foot over here with them. You love them, you try to get them saved, and then living one foot in the church. It doesn't work. You find out real fast, you start living for Christ, those friendships go to the side. All of a sudden you realize they... They, they liked you because you did the same things as they did. That was what their friendship was based on. Once I stopped doing those things that they were doing, they didn't want to know me. That's just, the, that's just the way it is. Don't be fooled. You want to see them come into the light, but, they're not, but you're not going to you know, hang out over there and say, oh, I'm trying to win them to Jesus and you're back where you were before. A companion of those who fear you. My close friends, I want them to be Christians. Do I still want to reach the other people? Yes, but my close friends are going to be Christians. The fifth mark is in uh, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's a mark of confidence in God's salvation. The believer has absolute confidence in the work of salvation which God has begun. He's always working in us. We're confident. That's the greatest news I ever heard when I found out I had eternal life. That it wasn't something I had to work my way, believe and work my way, hopefully get in. That's why it's such, it's such a false teaching to think that you can lose your salvation. Because first of all, you did nothing to get it. And what can you do to lose it? It's all doing. What did I do to get it? And what do I got to do to lose it? Well, if you get drunk like you just did, you just lost it. People, people teach that. You gotta get saved again. And then you gotta get saved again. You gotta get saved again. You gotta get rebaptized. We are confident of this salvation that we have. Paul says in, in Galatians 1 if anybody comes and preaches any other gospel besides that gospel of grace, basically, you take the original language, he's saying, let them go to hell they come up with something else other than that gospel of grace. Second Timothy 1.12 For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Until that day he takes us home. He's committed to that. Oh, we're his, right? And so we're going to make it to heaven no matter what. In the process, though, 
we stray off track, that word chastisement just means training. Like we heard this morning, he's relentless. He comes after us. There's nothing worse than a person who's a believer who's got the Holy Spirit and they're trying to go back and live the way they used to. Their mind is tormented because now they know and it's never the same feeling, it's never the same joy in that sin. The next mark is verse 7 and 8. And it talks basically here of a partnership. They were partners. Paul was telling them, you're partners in heart with me. Paul loved them as he loved himself. They were partners in, and this cooperation just means partnership. They were partners in suffering. They sympathized with Paul's imprisonment, and they were also suffering. There's a partnership. What you're going through, it should affect me. Or is it, well, that's their problem. Sometimes we have people in the world before that, were, that, are, that had our back more than people in the church now. Oh, that, you can't say that. It's true. Someone calls you up in the middle of the night, you'd be there. Then we become a Christian and, and everything's different. A great, they had a great affection for each other. And what he's saying here, there was a sympathy needed for those who suffered. It says in Romans 51, we that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. In other words, well, I'm strong, they're weak, so that's their problem. No. There's going to be people that are weak. And you're there, you who are strong, are to help them. This is the kind of partnership Paul was talking about in the church. This is a challenge. This is a challenge for all of us. Hebrews 13, 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are also in the body also. They were partners in the gospel. The church members were busy for Christ. There's a verse here in Hebrews 5.12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. What Paul is saying there is that's immaturity. By the time you ought to be in a place teaching and helping, you're still taking in the milk. And that was the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as unto carnal, as to babies in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. 
The Corinthian church had more gifts than any, any church in the New Testament, and they were the most carnal church. They were selfish, self-centered, immature. So spiritual maturity has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. You may have spiritual gifts, and you may be mature, but just because you have spiritual gifts doesn't make you a mature person. You could just be all about yourself and what I want to show and what I want to do. In verse 8 it says there, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you, after you all. In this version it says, In the bowels of Jesus Christ. Partners with Christ, the tender mercies. Paul longed for them with tenderness and affection. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12. As we close here, and may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another, just as we do to you. So then you start to focus on what does a mature believer look like? These are just some of the things. What you may think is mature maybe isn't really mature, and what you thought was not mature is mature. That person is going to be steady that mature person. They're not going to be like this. Up and down. Up and down with their emotions. If you aren't, there's no condemnation. You just need, okay, God, help me to grow. Help me to become more mature. What do I, what do I need to do? I need to be in your word more. I need to be praying more. I need to be around other Christians. And then the last thing, mark of growing and a, a mark of a growing and discerning love, nine and ten. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ. Paul wanted the believers to love, to grow, to grow and to understand each other better. You can't get to grow and understand someone better unless you get a little closer to them. How, whatever that takes. For some of us, we can just handle coming into a room with people and then we have to leave. That's about what we can handle. And maybe there's reasons for that. But God doesn't want you to stay in that place. He wants you to be connected to people. Yeah, it gets, it gets messy and it gets... It gets a lot of stuff when you're involved with people. But when you weigh it out, it's still worth it. Because what happens is, what the enemy says, or the devil says, live a life of isolation. You won't get hurt. Just, just keep your distance here. I'm not saying not be discerning. But we take it to the place of, okay, you're only getting this close to me. No further. Why? Because we've been burned. We've, we've, been, we've trusted people that have hurt us. But we can't stay in that place. The Holy Spirit will give you the power and give you everything you need to break through that barrier. You know, you grew up, you're, you hung around certain types of people. 
And now you're in a room with some of those people you didn't want to be in the room with before. And here we are. That's the Holy Spirit. And don't be, one of the things was a stumbling block for others. <coughs> Excuse me. Romans 14, 21. Is good neither to eat, drink, or wine, or do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Real love puts a limit on your liberty. What does that mean? Basically what that means is I may have liberty. I don't, I don't because of my life, I don't drink anymore. But if I did, and drunkenness is a sin, I can't say that having a drink is a sin. But if I'm going to be in a place where a brother or sister is in that place that struggles with that, I lost my liberty to do that so that that won't be a stumbling block to them. That's what real love does. I was at a Christian party one time and uh, they were serving wine and I knew the people there had just gotten over an addiction with wine, with alcohol. And yet, these were immature believers. That became a stumbling block to that, to that person, a, th a threat. So whatever I may have liberty to do, that liberty is totally limited when I'm around someone who's got a problem with that. That's how we love people. Well, I drink, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, but for them, it's a problem. So the question are, I, I ask myself, you ask yourself, are these marks in my life? Lord, I want to get more mature. I want to grow. And it just brings us right back to what we were saying this morning. This love that he has for us changes us. It changes us in a way because we're, we're going to understand his love as time goes on, hopefully, in a deeper, deeper way. Lord, our, our natural minds can't grasp that. But Holy Spirit, I just pray that you make that a reality in our lives. That we would grow more and more in love with you Lord, no one has done for us what you've done for us. No one cares for us the way you care for us. It's beyond our wife, our family, our friends. Holy Spirit, give us liberty and freedom this morning. Set us free from ourselves. Holy Spirit, We've been praying, we're asking you to sweep through our lives. Sweep through Cottage Hill Church. Help us to just get out of the way and let you do what you want to do. Would you set your people free? Help us to cooperate with the Spirit. Help us not to neglect the gift that's been given to us. Because that next verse says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, 
the power and love of a sound mind. Holy Spirit, remove that fear from our lives. Take down the walls. We love you this morning, God. Just praise his name right now. Just worship him. He's worthy to be praised. Thank you, Lord God. You've done the impossible. you transformed our lives. Thank you, Lord God. Sweep through us, Jesus. Praise you. As they sang, your love is higher and deeper than we can ever imagine. Your word says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after you. Lord, I'm hungry for more of you. I'm thirsty for more of you. And I know your people that are here this morning want that. And thank you for your grace, God. Thank you that it's not a works program to get there. We just open ourselves up to you with our free will and allow you to work in us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. Thank you for being here, Holy Spirit. We love you. We worship you this morning. Lord, do, do supernatural things here. Just change our lives. Knit our hearts closer together like never before. Lord, we may, we may need it for what's ever coming. Help us to be closer than we've ever been. And Holy Spirit, you'll empower all of that. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.